Hey, uh, listen, I am so excited to, we are um, getting into the last, the last week of Revelation, Bobby. About how, <laughs> it's been five months of study between other, between other messages and holidays and things like that. In all, it's been close to five months. And now we're at the very last session 20. 20 of Revelation. How many are excited? Man, it's going it, to, listen, how many know that this study has been inundated with brutality, right? There's been war, there's been blood, there's been death. This book of Revelation has been a picture of suffering to those who have rejected Jesus Christ. It has been a picture of suffering to those who have surrendered themselves to sin. And how many know that sin is really just shackles around your soul? And to be set free from sin is something entirely powerful and only done through Jesus Christ. For 20 chapters now in Revelation, we have walked together through now to this last two books of the Bible. So two or two chapters. There's two chapters remaining. And rather than go verse by verse in this, we're going to kind of give you an overview of what happens in what's called the new heaven, say new heaven, and new earth, say new earth. The new heaven and the new earth. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much that we have an opportunity this morning to share in what is our eternal destination, to have a glimpse of what it is you have for us in eternity. Lord, I thank you so much that we give an opportunity to come and, and gather together to worship you, to praise you, and to learn together. And so, Lord, everything that's preached, let it be by your Spirit, through your words. Lord, let us be moved to understand and to hope. Lord, let us be moved to share what it is you're doing for the church and for us with those around us. Lord, we pray over again the needs of those who are here, those who may not be here, maybe watching online or listening online, those who are part of the church family but just not in the church family right now. Lord, you would bring healing to those situations and restoration in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Revelation, now we're in chapter 21. And some people are wondering what this bench is here for, and we'll get to it in a little bit. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, say a bride, adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Somebody say amen. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Somebody say amen. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
God is good this morning. Amen. Say new heaven, new earth. What we see here in Revelation is we see the promise of throughout Scripture. So we've gone through the tribulation. We've gone through the judgments. We've gone through the seal judgments, the bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments. We've gone through all three judgments. And we've seen all this devastation. Now, we've uh, last week, we talked about the thousand-year millennium. And then at the end of the thousand years, we see the great, great white throne judgment. And in that great judgment, those who are lost, those who are sinful, those who are lost in their sins, they hear, depart from me. And then we see a new heaven and a new earth. So if we're talking about the timeline of events, after the tribulation, after the thousand years, the enemy is gone, evil is gone, suffering is gone, and now we enter into the period is known as the new heaven and new earth. So we see this not, in just, not just in Revelation, but throughout Scripture. Isaiah 66, 22 says this, For as the new heavens and the new earth that I, that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, and so shall your offspring and your name remain. When we look at the language of new heaven and new earth, we have to ask ourselves, how does this come about? How do we bring about this utopia? What is conceivably a paradise, right? No sin, no more pain, no more tears. Some have tried to bring this about through political revolution. That's the whole idea of political revolution, through communist ideals, through socialist programs. I heard one pastor say it this way. That's right. Bad stuff. I've heard one pastor say it this way. That what we do is we extend our adolescence and want to have programs take care of us rather than work for ourselves. And I understand that's not the case all the time. But many times when we're looking to the government for assistance or looking to the government for our livelihood, we have to question what is our value. It can be a tough thing. The ultimate goal is in, in bringing about what we would call utopia or paradise. Utopia or paradise. In discussing some of the recent policies and politics uh, that have been enacted in this country, I commented to a friend that, uh, to be honest, uh, I said, look, this is just what's expected. She had posted on Facebook that she was disgusted with the way things were going, as, that where we were going as a country, disgusted with some things politically and, and with the current administration. And I didn't disagree, but I said, listen, the, the truth is this, this should be expected. The Bible says that the darkness is going to get darker. There's going to be darkness before the dawn, right? That's what the Bible points us to. I just said this is where we are headed as a culture. Her reply was this. She didn't think that, as a, that any of these policies would pass because she didn't believe that it fit into God's idea for this country or God's redemption of this country. And in truth, I appreciated her idealism. In truth, I said, yeah, I, hopefully that's the case. I want revival to happen in this nation. Amen? We want revival to happen. We want redemption to happen. We want restoration to happen. 
But it seems like the way it's going is just the way it's going, and it's only going to get worse. The truth is, she and many others are placing their faith in our country in political upheaval or a conservative revolution. That's where they're putting their faith. Now, the truth is this. I do believe that it's possible that we have some time to stave off what we would call the invasion of demonic forces in this country. Make no mistake, there are demonic forces at work in our government. Make no mistake, when we want to provide for the murder of babies in other countries, there are demonic forces at work. But I do not believe that this will happen through political revolution. I don't believe that revival is going to happen through a conservative values overtaking the government. I believe it will only happen through spiritual revival and a new great awakening. I believe that what we have to look to is not happening uh, on our TV screens, but happening in the spiritual realm. And rather than complaining on Facebook, you should be praying in your closet. In case you haven't been following the messages the last five months or so, let me assure you that no matter how much we as a people try to bring about utopia or paradise, at some point it will all be led towards devastation and destruction. It's what we see in Revelations clear. So what exactly leads to the place that we're all waiting for, this place where there's no more tears, no more disease, no more pain, no more death? I mean, how many are excited for that time? I can't wait to get there, right? So how in the timeline of eternity do we get there? Tribulation, thousand-year millennium, great white throne, Satan vanquished, evil is annihilated, Peace now reigns in the earth, right? So, with all of this having been done and taken place, what leads us to a new heaven, say new heaven, and new earth? Now, the first question comes up is this. What does new mean? Matt, if I was to ask you, what does new mean? What would you say? Nobody else has used it. It's new, right? Newly created. Something that's just newly created, first time ever, that is something new, right? How many ever bought something brand new? How many ever bought a brand new car? Right off of the factory, right? I mean, just made and delivered to you, right? How many know it doesn't stay new very long? That new car smell goes away pretty quickly. There are two ways to look at the word new. The first, what we've discussed, is when something is newly created. So in 1963, an American auto company, this is no longer around today, named Pontiac, came out with a new car. Now, maybe some of you were here for this. 1963, and it was this. Go to the next slide. 1963 Pontiac GTO. How many had one? Oh, there you go. Pontiac stopped being a company around 2010. But in 63, they were hopping. They made the Pontiac GTO. And how many know over the course of time, things tend to break down? Things tend to get rusty. 
If you don't take care of it properly, it may end up like this. Go to the next slide. Oh, boy. That's a Pontiac GTO. That's just That doesn't look good, right? That's poor maintenance. It's age. It wasn't well taken well care of. It's a piece of junk. That's why it's in a junkyard. But how many know that when something has been demolished to this kind of level, it can be made new? It can be made new. You see, that is the second definition of new. And that's the word used in the Greek when we talk about the new heavens and the new earth. So it's not something that's newly created, but something that is entirely restored. So if we took a look at this car, and then now we see it fully restored. Through time, through effort, and through a whole lot of money, I'm sure, this car is now fully restored. So for many years, when you think of the new heaven and the new earth, I used to think, well, okay, we're going to get done with this. God's going to wipe it all out, and we're going to be on a new earth. In a new heaven, I mean an entirely different place. But that is not what we see the Bible pointing us to. For years, I thought, yeah, this is what's going to happen. And that's the idea that we have of what's going to happen. But what does the Bible point us to? So if we went back all the way to Genesis, most of you know this account. If we went back all the way to Genesis in the creation account, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. And he saw that it was good. Amen? After each creation account, he, each day he looks and he sees it and he sees, man, that's good. And then at the end of the sixth day, he looks and says, that was very good. So what God created was both good and very good. Amen? Both good and very good. Then sin takes root. Sin takes root through Adam and Eve, and, and the sin becomes so great that it leads towards Noah and a flood. This is what Peter says about the flood in 2 Peter 3, 5-7. through It says this, For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the Word of God. Say Word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth are now that now exist are stored up for fire, say fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. What he is referring to there is the great white throne judgment. So when the earth was flooded, most everything was destroyed, but it was not annihilated. Amen? It was destroyed, but not annihilated. It was purified by water. Now, in thinking about the new heavens and the new earth, I want us to look at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 10-13. through 13. It says this, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, what was destroyed by water in the flood will be destroyed by water or by fire in Revelation chapter 21. What was destroyed by water in the flood will now be destroyed by fire. And out of that which will be burned up and dissolved will come forward a new heavens and a new earth in which which righteousness dwells. Amen? The words that are used here in Revelation is not for a new creation, but for a restoration. It's not for a new creation, it's for a restoration. It's not God destroying everything that is good and very good. It's the earth getting back to what God created in the first place. When I was in Israel, I was walking down the Via Della Rosa. And we were there with a group, and it's the, supposed to be the path that Jesus took towards the cross. And our guide was with us, and we're walking down this street, and it's beautiful. And I mean, you're in Israel, and it's amazing. And he said, well, somebody had mentioned, so this is the actual road that Jesus walked on the way to the cross? And the guy said, well, no. And she got upset. The woman that asked the question got very upset. She said, well, what do you mean? I mean, they say this is the road. He said, well, understand through centuries and through war, through rebuilding and rebuilding and rebuilding, the actual road is probably about 30 feet below us. And she got so miffed. I mean, she was just, she was really upset. She's like, I want to I want to walk the actual road. He said, Well, you're just above it. Now think about when all those layers are taken away. Layers of war, layers of pollution. Bodies are gone the devastation, the ruins. The Bible says the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. And so now everything is taken down to what the Bible says will be exposed. And we get back to the original that God had planned in the first place. Before we took it over, before we brought on war and pestilence and pollution and ruin, God brings it back to something that is renewed and refreshed and restored. If we're talking about a new heavens and a new earth, Randy Elkhorn writes this. God doesn't throw away his handiwork and start from scratch. Instead, he uses the same canvas to repair and make more beautiful the painting that was marred by the vandal. The vandal doesn't get the satisfaction of destroying his rival's masterpiece. On the contrary, God makes an even greater masterpiece out of what the enemy sought to destroy. So what will this restored earth and heaven be like? Verse 1 of Revelation 21 tells us something very interesting. Go to Revelation 121. It says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and the sea was no more. There's a man named Henry Morrison. He said this, there will in fact be no need for a sea on the new earth. The present sea is needed as a basic reservoir for the maintenance of the hydrologic cycle. In the new earth, all men and women who live there will have their glorified bodies with no need for water. In fact, the Bible says that we're made of flesh and or bone and blood or bone and flesh, that there won't be any need and there's speculation theory, gospel according to this, you know, whoever, not, but theory is that there won't be any need for blood because blood is 95% water. They say, well, does that mean there won't be any water? Well, no, it doesn't mean there won't be any water, but the water that will flow will flow from the throne of God. Revelation 22, verse 1 through 3 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the side of the, of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, listen to this, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, say accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. Now, some people say the, the ocean is so beautiful. I mean, I spent all this money on lakefront property, right? People that spent all this money on oceanfront property, they're going to be sorely disappointed. People say the earth is so beautiful. I can't imagine the ocean's so, I mean, vast. And how many have ever seen the ocean? If you, yeah, I've, some have, some haven't. That's okay. I've seen the ocean. I look at it and, and, and it's incredible. I can't, can you imagine earth without it? David Jeremiah sends, shares this insight. He says this, don't forget that in the new Jerusalem flowing out of the throne of God, there is a river. It is a great river that runs out into tributaries, and it's fresh water, not salt water. Because you see, salt is a preservative so that decay won't take place. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there is no more decay. There will be no need for salt. And the fresh waters that will flow throughout the world, and it will be more beautiful than anything you can imagine with trees that are growing side by side along the river with different fruits each month which you can pick off and eat, and the leaves that provide a quality of life that is beyond anything we have ever known. We're talking about the new heavens and the new earth. We're talking about this utopia, this paradise. The revelator John describes it here in describing what is known as the city of New Jerusalem. It will be the capital of the world. It will be a place of nearly indescribable beauty. Revelation 21.11 tells us it will be like having the glory of God. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper. It's clear as crystal. Verse 23 says it will be a city with no need for sun or moon because the glory of God gives its light and the lamp is the Lamb of God. Amen? The lamp is the Lamb of God. In fact, it's interesting we saw earlier in Revelation where John is so overwhelmed by what's happening that he falls at the feet of an angel and begins to worship him. And the angel says, dude, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you. Right? Remember that? 
it happens again. John hears about all of this stuff happening, and again, he's so overwhelmed, he, he makes the mistake he made in earlier chapters and falls to worship the angel, and the angel again directs him, only worship God. Number one, there will be no more sea. Now, in fairness, there are some commentaries that look at the sea and they say this. The sea in Jewish minds was a separation between sin and righteousness. So when the Bible says there will no longer be sea, what they're saying is there will no longer be sin. So the question is this. Will it be that there's no more ocean, no more salt water, or will there be no more sin? Of course we know there will be no more sin, but then you have to ask yourself, what about the other? And that's where we just don't know. And we have to be okay with just not knowing. It's going to be exciting to find out when we get up there. Amen? Number two, in the new heavens and the new earth, we will no longer be under the curse. Say reverse the curse. I think they used that a long time ago for a baseball team. The little bambino, was that what it was? Reverse the curse. In case you're curious as to what this curse is, we have to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19 says this. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. This is, this is why you should never listen to your wife. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. If you're a farmer, you understand the curse that was put on the ground. Doreen's rolling her eyes right now. She's like, are you kidding me? Absolutely. If you're a farmer, you totally understand that. It's because of man's sin that we were cursed as well as the earth was cursed. Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam. But now there is a second Adam. And now this is what happens. Dr. Jeremiah also says this. The work of Christ is not just to save the innumerable number of blood-bought people. The total work of Christ is nothing less than to redeem this entire creation from the effects of sin. He wants to reverse the curse. This purpose will not be accomplished until God has ushered in a new earth, until paradise lost becomes paradise regained. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to, to, uh, to encounter this new earth. For much of what we've talked about, it's been about the new earth so far. But you say, what about the new heavens? Anybody curious about the new heavens? We talked about the new earth a lot, but what about the new heavens? Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus, and he writes these words in chapter 1, verse 7 through 10. It says this, For in him we have redemption through his blood. Say his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will 
according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Now, when we talk about the fullness of time, now we're talking about after the tribulation, after the thousand years. Now we are in the new heaven and the new earth, and we are talking about the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. In this world we live in today, how many know that we are not living in heaven on earth? Right? We are not living in heaven on earth. In fact, it's been said this way. If you're a Christian, this is the only hell you will ever experience. The problem is if you're not a believer, this is the only heaven you'll ever experience. Things in heaven and things on earth, how many know, are separated between the seen and the unseen. Every once in a while, somebody gets a glimpse. Every once in a while, the veil is pulled back and we get to see into the spirit realm. My grandmother was, uh, I think, 92, 94 years old when she passed away. She lived on her own for years and years and years. I've talked about her before. She had such a heart for people and for the Lord. And there was many times where she would be praying and she would see not just what was happening physically, but then the veil was torn away. And she would see angels standing over people and in places. Not all the time. It wasn't like she was walking around seeing an angel at the 7-Eleven or something. I mean, it wasn't anything like that. But every once in a while, just rarely, the Lord would give her a glimpse of where she was going. I pray that God would give us a glimpse of where we are going. Things in heaven, things on earth are separated between the seen and the unseen. But here, we see the purpose of Christ is to unite all things in heaven and earth. What that means is that what separates us now will not separate us then. Amen? What separates us now is not, is, is not what will separate us then. One pastor said this, Christ will make heaven into earth and earth into heaven. And that wall that separates heaven and earth will forever be demolished. There will be one universe, and all things in heaven and on earth will be together under the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's plan is that there will be no more gulf between the spiritual and the physical. There will be one cosmos, one universe, united under one Lord forever and ever. This is the unstoppable plan of God. The unstoppable plan of God. The enemy may scheme, he may try, he may, and he will fail. Every single time. Because it is the unstoppable plan of God. I don't know about you, but that's, that gets me excited. I like that there's an unstoppable plan of God. Amen? That there is a plan in place. To think that is what, what is now invisible will be clearly visible. That's kind of cool to me. I mean, I could be walking around right now, not know there's an angel right here, but then I see him right there. Give him a high five. We're not doing knuckles then. We're not doing knuckles then, right? We're not, we're not, we're, you know, hey, we'll be in glory. Amen. God has incredible things planned for you and for me in eternity. He has this grand adventure for us, and it will all be done in what's called the new heaven and the new earth. Now, in thinking about this movie or in thinking about this message, I couldn't help but think of a very famous movie quote that nearly all Iowans are familiar with. The line comes from a movie called The Field of Dreams. 
In it, there's a man. His name is Ray Kinsella. Ray hears a voice telling him to build a baseball field. How many ever seen this movie? If you're an Iowan, you should see this movie. In it, the man named Ray Kinsella hears a voice telling him to build the baseball field. And, of course, we know that when he does, all of these old-school baseball players come to show up and play the game that they love, including his father who had passed away. The quote comes up in the scene where his father asks Ray that now famous question, is this heaven? To which Ray answers, no, it's Iowa. Now, I don't want you leaving here thinking that movie is full of theological truth because it's not. Okay, it's not, uh, you're not going to see James Earl Jones playing baseball up there. That's pretty good. I, I like that. It's unlikely Shoeless Joe Jackson will be there playing baseball for eternity, right? I mean, we don't know, so, I mean, who knows? But if you think about it for a second, I want you to think about this just for a second. The earth we are living on now will be fully restored. Carol, can you shut the lights off for me? Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is a picture of a sunset in Iowa. I want you to think about it for a minute. We live in Emmett County. You live in Esterville. Maybe you live in Sherburne. The glory of God in creation. Imagine going to your porch and sitting on your porch and seeing the sunset. The breeze of the night air. Over the corn, the sun comes down. You wave at Doug as he's in the field. We think about heaven on earth. We think about the peace that we feel at this moment. We hear the night noises and we see how good God is. Now I want you to think about it in eternity. Free from pollution. Free from war. Free from all that hinders us between the visible and the invisible. And it's not that God is going to throw away everything and start fresh, but that what we have new is going to be entirely elevated. What we have now is going to be entirely elevated. So how many layers of dirt and rock and rubble is going to be cleared away? I don't know. How many years of war and pollution and unrest is going to be cleared away? All of it. There are so many places on this earth that hold such great beauty. I have had the privilege to travel around the world. Not to many places, but a lot of places. And you see the beauty in those places. You see the beauty in the oceans. You see the beauty in Israel. You see the beauty in... I've been to Russia and I see the beauty in that. 
Do you see the beauty in Esterville? Do you see the beauty in Sherburn? That what we live in now will then be refreshed and renewed and restored. I like what one pastor said. He said this, it is a place characterized by laughter without tears, by life without death, by singing without mourning, in contentment without crying and pleasure without pain. And our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be there and our Heavenly Father will be there and the blessed Holy Spirit will be there. And the truth is this, as I was writing this message, I began to have tears well up in my eyes thinking about eternity. Thinking about the overwhelming goodness of God. And as I was thinking about it, it grabbed a hold of my heart. God has so many good things prepared for us. Amen? The book of Revelation ends in this way. Chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus is speaking to the Apostle John, John the Revelator. He is speaking to him directly. And he says this, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The, the, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Verse 18 says, I warn everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share of the tree of life and then the holy city which are described in this book. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen? Come, Lord Jesus. Say, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Stand with me this morning. When is he coming? Soon. We don't know for sure, but we know it's soon. To be honest with you, I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. My prayer is that you'll be there with me. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Lord God, I pray over those who are here this morning. I pray that in understanding our eternity, they would experience your goodness and your grace. Lord, for those who are unsure of their eternal destination, I pray that they would put their trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. As we watch this world fall more and more into darkness, I pray that we are reminded of your promises and that we hold tight to the anchor of our souls. Lord, I pray that you would bless us and I pray that you would keep us. I pray that you would cause your face to shine down upon us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us rest in the holy, mighty, and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.